All right, welcome into the first episode of the pregame.com Dream Preview College Basketball Edition. I am AJ Hoffman. Joining me is Griffin Warner. Griff, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, AJ. How are you? I, I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to get into hoop season, uh, and it's a it's it's a beautiful time of year. Excited to hopefully make some money off this stuff. Uh, first of all. If you would like to follow us on Twitter.com, uh, I am AJ is the real. He is at the real underscore G Warner and at Mac and Rivers. Is that right, McKenzie? Yes, sir. All right. And so if you want to uh, keep in, keep up with us there, that's the place to do it. Obviously, you can hear all the other podcasts that we're doing, college football, NFL, golf, uh, Fezzik Focus Pod. We've got so much stuff going on. Here's the way we're going to do the college basketball pod, though. Uh, this particular episode, we're going to give each of us is going to give our three favorite uh, futures bets to win the national championship. See if we can get a little bit down early, and then we're going to go through every week. We're going to do this. We're going to go through the biggest games on the board. These are going to be for a Friday and a Monday release. So the Friday morning release will be for Friday, Saturday, Sunday games. Of course, the, the Monday release will be through Monday through Thursday games. And at the end, we will each give our best bet, and we'll be out of here quick and easy. Uh, so, Griffin, let's go ahead and start with you. Let's let's see what your uh, what your first futures bet is. Sure, I think I'm, I'm most interested in the Houston Cougars. Um, I, I think a lot of my my futures, I, I generally try to look for the more of the long shot because. Ultimately, I feel like it's so hard to hedge in this sport, especially because it's six game uh, March Madness tournaments. It's really a lot about who you draw and really who upsets who you're facing along the way. Uh, And and watching Houston last year, getting a two seed uh, and making the run to the final four, I feel like that is a big, big step for a team. And and once they're able to um, kind of maybe slay some dragons on the way to the tournament um, or way to the final four. I, I think that's a good, good stepping stone, even though there's of course a ton of turnover, especially all over the place in the league this season. Uh, and, and ultimately Kelvin Sampson, love him or hate him. I think he's had a lot of experience at this level and, and seeing Houston at, at what I thought was a pretty big number at 30 to one is, is what I, I you, you threw at me yesterday. Uh, that's the first one I wanted to look at. And I don't know if you want to ping pong, go back and forth, or if you want me to keep going or, or if you had thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll give some thoughts on Houston. I, I actually, I don't mind that Houston pick. I, I, I worry a little bit about, they lose Caleb Mills, who was, I think he was a really valuable guy when he was on the floor. He's got some, some ankle injury issues, but that's a guy that I don't know that they've really replaced. But I do feel like, man, they, they've got a, a good system there in place. They've got a, a legit coach. I, I mean, I, I think at this point we can all agree Samson is the real deal and, and he's got something good going there. Uh, and, and I think you're getting decent odds on this at 30 to 1. I, I think there is value in that. I'll, I'll give you my first one. And actually, two of my three, I had three futures bets last year. And uh, this is the only two of them I have again this year. So maybe I'm an idiot. This is the only new <laughs> one that I had. I traded out Gonzaga 16 to one last preseason for this one. Maybe not as good. We'll see. Texas 14 to one is going to be my first one. And they, they lost their big men, some of whom went to the NBA on potential, despite barely even be able to see the floor last year for the horns. But they they did a great job rating the portal and got guys that will fit what Chris Beard wants to do. And he said himself the offense is going to be a work in progress all season long. Although Marcus Carr is probably going to figure out some offense early. That's just what he does. But the defense I think is going to be excellent immediately. They've got depth. They've got players that will bring the kind of effort that he's going to require. And if the offense catches up at some point this season, we may have a monster on our hands coming into the tourney. So what do you think about Texas's odds? Well, I didn't know if you were catering to me as AJ and I first worked together in Austin. I'm a <laughs> UT alum, so I, I appreciate the kudos for that one. Um, and any way to get rid of or actually really improve the stock at your uh, your head coaching position, moving Shaka Smart along, I, I'm really I hope he does well in Marquette. But uh, he was one of the best, I think, fades in all of college basketball. And uh, I don't know how many wins uh, Chris Beard will provide that Shaka Smart handed away. But literally, I think there were two of them directly to Chris Beard last season out of pretty, pretty disgusting circumstances. So 
Um, I will admit, though, as an alum, and especially the way the football team just breaks my heart every year, uh, <laughs> I'd like to not talk more about that if we could skip. Um, but ultimately, I think, uh, I mean, the Horns, they brought in so so much talent from all over the place. And it really, I think the biggest, biggest question is to see how quickly that'll gel together. Offense always seems to be an issue for Texas, basketball court at least. Um, and, and I really love Chris Beard. I feel like uh, it brings me back a couple years ago. Uh, a future I had in my portfolio was Texas Tech 125 to 1, made it all the way to the championship. I did not hedge and really thought I was going to pull off uh, a crazy, crazy turnaround um, in, a, in a tight national championship, championship game. But ultimately, c- coming back to this year, um, I, I love the defense. I'm, I'm hoping that he is able, because I feel like last year he was figured out just a slight bit, uh, and that really affected um, really their offensive game. And I think Texas Tech was was a little bit weaker than than I think they ended up or the expectations had them last season. Uh, but still a big buyer, Chris Beard. Um, the staff also, I think, is extremely underrated. We spent a ton of money on assistance. Um, really crazy that Rodney Terry, a former UT assistant, uh, left a head coaching job at UTEP to come back to, to join the Beard staff. And I think that I think that says something pretty significant. Um, the talent's there. I'm waiting to see how it gels. 14 to 1. I mean, it's not a, not not bad odds for where we're sitting today. And I think ultimately a lot of the futures plays that you're making is you really want to take a team that can get a good seed in the tournament. And I think, I mean, Kansas looks like a, a decent adversary in the Big 12, but I feel like the Big 12 might be a little bit weaker than it has been in the past. So that, that totally interests me, uh, trying to keep my bias aside, of course. And we all love Chris Beard. Everybody loves Chris Beard as a coach. This is this is by far the most talent he's had on a roster. I mean, this is this is giving like a great chef finally access to to real groceries. Sure. So I'm excited to see what he can do. What's what's your second in your portfolio? Uh, you know, it, it's it's weird to say this, but I actually have some interest in Mark Turgeon's Maryland Terrapins. Uh, Forty Ooh. to one on this list. It's it's tough to say, but I I gotta say I've I've seen all the naysayers and I've probably been part of that camp for a while, um, but I, I'm, I'm I'm not going to give any short odds. I'll admit, so we're only going to go up from here. Um, but but I think where what I see with Maryland is that they're a growing uh, team and program, and I think their their head coach I, I think is is a lot better than he has been. Has learned a lot. Uh, one of my biggest concerns though is is this the the really tough big 10 that you have to get through. And it's, it's really hard to get a high seed in that conference, but uh, hear me out if you would, because I heard, I heard the, the Snickers at the beginning. Um, I really <laughs> like what they've done in, in terms of building the roster over the last few years. And I think uh, Ayala is such a, such a really strong player that has played the point can can play on the wing. And I think can also be a bit more of a scoring scoring threat than I think a lot of people expect. And, and, you know, I, I'm not pulling from the top of the, of, of the channel, but but ultimately, I think Mark Turgeon has really done a lot for me lately to really kind of quiet at least myself as a naysayer, and I'm pretty interested in what he can kind of bring to the team this year. Fats Russell is a is a huge addition, I think, uh, to run the point and to add a little bit more pressure on the ball, which I think is going to be important in some spaces. I mean, I really hope that he can make some jump shots this year, and I'm kind of going out on a limb hoping for that. But Dante Scott was a huge stretch four, which I think is really important at this level of basketball, and I think Caduce Wahab coming in from. Georgetown didn't work perfectly for him at Georgetown, but I think sitting in with Patrick Ewing and getting uh, kind of that tutelage for a couple years, and he's a really dominant inside force, which I think is going to be really tough come tournament time for smaller teams and, and other teams to really deal with the the, the size and the length, and, and I think scoring ability that'll show this season. Yeah, I, I like uh, the Fats Russell edition. I like what Maryland did in the portal in general. I, I think Wahab from Georgetown is a nice addition, getting a, a big there to to use, and and I think uh, Xavier Green from from Old Dominion is a, is a nice add as well. True. My worry is Fats Russell is like he's like the least efficient pl- good player in the country. I, I, I he's it's almost like he gets to the uh he's like James Harden he gets to the line as or maybe old school James Harden gets to the line all the time and then he just chucks threes and he is not a good three point shooter he's just not but he feels like he is maybe being on a team with more talent around him that kind of goes away he won't feel like he has to carry the whole load like he did with Rhode Island so i i, I think maybe there's some room for improvement with him and it's not that he's not a good player. I mean, he's got he's got talent. I mean, he he racks up points. It's just it, it, there's there's too many empty possessions with him, and I, I think that's sort of a, a worry. And I guess kind of the other thing is they you know they lose their their best 
defensive player. Uh, you know, they, they lose Aaron Wiggins and that, I think that's going to be a tough guy to replace for them. So, uh, at 40 to one though, I, I think you're probably getting, where, where do you think Maryland sits in the big 10 pecking order? Probably five, six, you know, good question. I'm hoping that they can get on a run because ultimately you can probably get some 40 to ones, uh, t- around tournament time if they're not getting uh, a decent, I mean, a, a pretty high seat at this point. But, um, I, I gotta admit from kind of what type of futures vantage point I'm putting in here. I'm kind of looking at where potentially teams could, could kind of get overseeded. And I mean, trusting the, the NCAA to, to selection committee to, to put a, a team in the bracket where they should be is, is a fool's errand for sure. Um, but I'm thinking that they can surprise. And I think adding Wahab, I think the Big East has been stronger than a lot of people give it credit. And I, I think that there's some decent chances that, that maybe, I mean, I'm not picking prom queens here either, but I, I think that there's a good chance that they can outperform where their expectations are. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to, to put them on, on a certain spot in the Big Ten, I got to say, because it's such a tough conference. But uh, I'm pretty down, I think, in general on the Michigan States of the world. And I, I don't I don't know that that there's a lot of those teams like Ohio State barely surviving the opener. Uh, I don't want to look at that too closely, but I feel like uh, Chris Holtman just his teams fall apart every December or January. And I don't know if that's a character issue or whatever, but um, I think that there's some decent upside and some, some other teams in the big 10 that I think might not live up to expectations. That's part of what, where that comes from. All right. I will go with my second one. And it's a team that I had a hundred to one ticket on last year. And I was, I mean, if I didn't think, of course, I thought Gonzaga was going to win the whole thing all season long, but as the season went on, I felt really good having a hundred to one ticket on Illinois and I'm not going to get 100 to one this year, despite the fact they lose their their best player. Uh, but 22 to one on Illinois right now. They the, Illinois finished as the fourth best team in Ken Palm last year. They were very very good. Losing Desumu is going to hurt. Like you can't replace a guy like that. He he was a, a lottery type guy, and that's those guys don't grow on trees, especially at Illinois. And they lose Bezanishvili, who was play, he played a lesser role last year than the year prior. But somehow, all those guys leave, and they convince Kofi Coburn to stay. And that dude is a game changer. He on on really on both ends, but particularly on the defensive end. And he just doesn't let things happen in the paint. And they brought in some shooting. They got Alfonso Plummer from from Utah, who's like a forty percent three point shooter, an elite three point shooter. And they're going to ask Andre Carbello to kind of play that Desumu role from a from a creator standpoint. I don't know if he's going to fill those shoes. But I do like the talent on this Illinois team, and I really love Brad Underwood. I, I think that they've got a legit coach who is eventually going to win a title. I don't know, I don't know if it's this year, I don't, but, but I, I feel like he's got the he's he's got the right mind to get us there. So Illinois twenty two to one will be second on my page. Yeah, and um, I I share your your feelings on Brad Underwood. I think he was. Uh, it's still incredible to me that Oklahoma State let him go because they weren't willing to up their their salary a little bit. Uh, I think you you pointed out uh, Desumu missing him is such a such an important part because he was their end of game killer. Uh, whenever they needed a bucket late, clear out, spread the floor, and let him take some people to the basket because they couldn't stop him. All they could do is foul him and and hope he didn't get the layup while they fouled him. Um, I mean, Plummer has been an awesome three point shooter, and and honestly, I think it's really hard for me to. Describe why Utah was so good at home and so poor on the road for years, but it might be the three point shooting that go, that kind of came and went. And I think Plummer, similar to a Fats Russell situation, I mean, except Fats doesn't exactly have the uh, three point pedigree, I'll admit. But but I think <laughs> he'll Plummer, shoot as much. Yeah, I mean, he'll try. Uh, and and I'm hoping that that shot has improved. But I think until we see it, it's hard to believe that it will. Uh, but Plummer, great three point shooter for sure, uh, especially at home games at Utah. I remember a lot of times being like wanted to cry halfway through a game because he basically blew it out from the beginning. Uh, but like the opportunities, certainly on a better team um, with a lot more space. I mean, we saw uh, Williams and his incredible improvement from basically a, please don't ever shoot the ball to a great shooter last year too. Uh, and so I, I think that there is some ability for, for Illinois to kind of grow any type of shooter. And especially with a guy like Plummer coming in uh, and seeing what happened to Trent Frazier as well. I mean, so I feel like they're a program that know what they're doing and coaching three point shots. And so um, if, if he can, continue what he was doing at Utah, except on a better team, uh, the ceiling, the, the sky's the limit for their ceiling. 
And I think Illinois, I, I, I probably rank Illinois as about the third best team in the Big Ten. I, I think Purdue and Michigan are probably better, but I don't know that there's anybody else that I put ahead of them. So 22 to one on the third best team in the Big Ten, I, I feel like is decent, decent odds. Okay, and now for my third one, if we're ready for it, uh, I'll Let's go. go. Ahead. I'll go ahead with uh, Andy Enfield, another coach that I I haven't loved in the past, but I got to say sixty six to one on a US team, USC team that got pretty deep in last year's tournament. Um, I, I'm pretty interested in kind of the lineup that they threw out there in the opener. A um, lot of size, a lot of length. Um, certainly, when you lose a, a lottery pick, it's it's hard to replace that right away. But but ultimately, I feel like Andy Enfield has shown his. I mean, how he got to USC from from Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, he's done it in the tournament before. Last year's run was really impressive to me. And I and I gotta say, I'm just really intrigued by what the USC defense can be more so than what they would do to beat you up on 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 the backboard. I feel like they have so much length. I mean, starting four guys or, or really based on the Ken Palm lineup from the opener, having five, four to five players at six foot nine and above um, some three point shooter shooters with mixed in there with so height, length, shooting ability is all really important to me. And I feel like the, the PAC 12 UCLA crosstown rival um, obviously made their huge run last year and everyone loves them because they returned everybody and added miles Johnson. Uh, but I feel like that there's some space in the Pac-12. Oregon usually comes on halfway through the season, might, and it might take them a little while. And a lot of big things for me in trying to get a, a long shot is that, that a team that might get a better uh, seed than they maybe should, and that's a big, big deal in the tournament. I feel like if USC can stack up some some wins, I think the, the Pac-12 will be much, much less of a challenge than the Big Ten. And I think that'll be a big, big step. Uh, for USC really to try to earn a seed before the tournament starts. They don't have to keep uh, beating and really pulling upsets from each step of the tournament. My my only real concern, and obviously they, I mean, they lost some key guys. You lose Mobley, you lose Tajidi. It's hard to replace guys like that. My my concern is they didn't really go and find, they they did find uh, replacements. They found big bodies to put where Mobley used to stand, they they really didn't go out and find another point guard. And Ethan Anderson, who's a junior, is like basically the only point guard on the roster. And he's like he's built like a, a bowling ball. Um, and I, I, I'm not in love with him. And I think a lot of I think Taj Edi was one of the more underrated players in the country last year because he he made it easy for those big men to eat. And I, I don't know if they are going to have the same kind of success. And, and they, I know they were, I don't know a lot about uh, the recruits that they brought in. I, I know Reese Waters is supposed to be like a, a top 50 player in the country. And maybe he's, he's got some backcourt minutes. Uh, maybe Kobe Johnson ends up being a, a guy who can handle the point, but I think they're going to have to find a real facilitator to get anywhere close to what they were last year, which let's face it. They, they, it seemed like they kind of overachieved last year. And, and I think they're going to end up, with probably about 20 wins in that conference, which gets you, it gets you in the tournament. And I mean, if, if you're take if you're long shots, you feel like you're pretty safe. They're going to get in the tournament. That's a good thing. I, I you know, I, the people who are taking like a hundred to one on a, on a team that really is, is highly unlikely to even make the tournament. If you say, Oh yeah, I've got a hundred to one on Colorado. Well, okay. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I think, you know, what you're saying, I, I think you've, you've got, decent odds on a team that I feel comfortable is going to make the tournament, but it's going to, I mean, like last year and maybe like UCLA did, they're going to have to make some things happen once they get to the tournament. Totally. I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I see it similarly. I do think that you're maybe looking overlooking Boogie Ellis transfer from Memphis a little bit. I think, I think it's hard to say what he is, uh, but I think getting away from Penny Hardaway is a big deal to figure out what that, you're that be. might be true. Like, but you, I, it's amazing that Penny Hardaway is like the worst offensive coach in the world. Like you would have thought that would be all he could do. Yet it seems like no one could play offense under that guy. It's a very, very odd thing. Totally. Uh, my other one is a team that I had at 33 to one last year and felt good for about half the season. Uh, I'll get them at 40 to one this year. And that is Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee uh, watching them, the first night, I felt really good about what I saw. That, that team is, A, they are very, very willing to shoot and shoot a lot, and they are willing to run up the score on teams. Uh, they hit 17 threes in their season opener. They're still playing dominant defense. That's not going to change. And really, Kennedy Chandler, who 
I'm always weary of oh, this guy's a, a top five recruit. This guy's the real deal. I've seen I've watched one game of Kennedy Chandler basketball. I'm convinced he's the real deal. He scores 20 points in his first game. He's faster than everybody on the floor by a mile. He's moving the ball around. But I think most importantly, he takes Santiago Viscovi off the ball and allows him to just spot up and shoot. And I think that's why we saw we saw them shoot the ball so well, because you've got a playmaker now at point guard who is going to find the open guy and and let them get good looks because the, the defense just has to collapse on this Chandler kid. He's so good. They've got a lot of size. They've got a ton of experience. Uh, I, I think they've got I think you've got to have a great point guard. And this is probably Barnes's best point guard since DJ Augustine or maybe even TJ Ford. Like he's done good things in the past with playmaking point guards. The Augustine went to an Elite Eight, Ford went to a Final Four. I, they they play defense across the board one through five. I think it's a good team to take a relative long shot on at forty to one. What do you think? I mean, they were on my list of, of potentials. Uh, long shots are, are kind of what I'm trying to do in this sport and in, in my futures portfolio. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm adding more than one or two and really trying to stick to those. But uh, I know some people do it other ways. But uh, I think touching on the Rick Barnes uh, funny bone that I have though it is tough for me to hear. Again, many years in Austin, he was there for the four years I was in school. Um, and, and I, I mean, I do believe in him as a defensive coach and I know that he's going to make it really tough for opponents to score. Uh, if this is a team that can score the basketball efficiently, I think that is a huge, huge step. And I mean, last year's team was basically, if you played against Tennessee and they were shooting well, uh, you had no chance and you're very likely to lose by 20, more likely to lose by 20 than you were by 10. Uh, and that's a big deal because you need to blow teams out as, as you kind of referenced, um, I like the idea. The depth is, is one of the more important things in this in this game. And I think uh, Tennessee were on my list, so I can't argue too hard against you. Uh, I'm not the biggest Rick Barnes fan in, in the world, but I, I feel like um, he's going to bring you defense. And if they can keep it up and, and play offense and, and try to balance the load a lot better than they have in the past, then 33-1 uh, to 1 will look pretty nice towards the end of the season. Uh, Forty to one this year. Thirty three oh, last ooh, year. Apologies. Yeah. Forty to one, even better. Yeah, I'm feeling much better this year than last. Good. All right, let's get into the uh, the big games this this coming up this weekend, and let's start with maybe you know this is I, I don't want I'm not going to call this one the marquee matchup. I'm convinced Texas Gonzaga is the marquee matchup, but this is the two highest rated teams, Villanova at UCLA. We're using sort of a, a mix of Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and maybe just some gut with me for for doing this for a couple of years on where the line will be. So that's that's one thing. We're not always going to know the exact line, but I'm going to project this at about minus five. What do you think of Nova and UCLA? So I'm an underdog player by nature, um, but I have, uh, thanks to a good friend of mine, uh, Matt Lindemann, Lindy Train in the business, who really tried to point out to me kind of personally that I need to play more favorites. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know that this is one that I can do at a plus five that you're, that the, uh, the AJ Hoffman odds maker is projecting. Uh, Villanova are, are a team that um, I think in the tournament really go as their shooting goes, but uh, Jay Wright's philosophy is to try to get old and stay old. And I feel like that's worked really well for this team. Now, UCLA, on the other hand, I already spoke about them basically returning everything that they could ask for, plus adding a, a great freshman in Peyton Watson and also uh, bringing in Miles Johnson as well to anchor them defensively and add to what was a really, really small front court or at least short front court uh, last year, but didn't stop them from making a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I just feel like there is definitely big risk uh, and backing a jump shooting team like Villanova that lives on three point shots, especially with Robinson Earl uh, graduating or going to the pros. Uh, but ultimately, I think UCLA are going to be a really strong team. I just, I don't, it, similar to kind of Rick Barnes and how I feel about Mick Cronin, is his offense is never really that impressive. Uh, if Johnny Juzang can shoot like he did last season and his supporting cast, I mean, Jules Bernard has been great for, for that program. Jaime Jaquez has been great at, at, at scoring the basketball, and Tiger Campbell has kind of emerged as a, a trustworthy point guard. It's hard to find flaws within UCLA. But as you start laying more than a more than a, a, a single possession, that's when I start uh, my the, the hair starts turning up on the back of my neck, and I start wanting to play the dog. I'm not sure that I it'll be strongly on my card because I, I do want to see what this Villanova addition uh, looks like. But uh, it's a big deal getting Gillespie back from injury, and I, I do think Villanova are in a position to kind of capitalize on what to me seems like an overvalued UCLA uh, team at this moment. What are your thoughts? I 
Well, first of all, you said the word right there, overvalued. Let's just take into consideration what would we think of UCLA today if they lose that overtime game to Michigan State in the first four? Instead of, I mean, and I know you can't do that. They make a Final Four run, and or they lose the overtime game to Alabama, or they lose the the one possession game they played against Michigan in the Elite Eight. Like, if if they don't make that Final Four run. Is there a two next to UCLA's name this season? I, I would say there's almost certainly not. Yeah, uh, completely agree. I think they limped their way into the tournament. Honestly, looked like a team that was on their way out, I thought, towards the end. They lost their last four games of the regular season. Uh, part of me wondered, I mean, I said this earlier about the selection committee, and I'm sure I'm not going to get any thank you notes, but ultimately wonder if they were asleep in their chairs. Uh, but <laughs> but they made a run. It seems like that always happens with a team that shouldn't be there. Um, and they had some good individual players that I think the the bracket fell pretty well for them. Um, but ultimately the, the Cronin game plan of trying to win games 54-49. Uh, sometimes it works out when you have great shooters on your team. And I, I'm very curious to see if they can keep that up. Cause I feel like, I mean, once you get the momentum train rolling, it's, 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 it's not easy to keep it going, but that's a big deal. And, and I wonder starting from fresh from scratch, if they can really do it again. Yeah. I, I just, I, so I just don't think UCLA is a top five team in the country and Nova is a dog is something that I'm almost always going to be interested in. And I, I don't, I don't consider this to be some sort of huge home court advantage for UCLA. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, Miles Johnson and bringing him in and they're going to need him now because Cody Riley, who started all, all their 31 games for him last year, he's got a torn MCL and he's out for the foreseeable future. That down low is where they were going to have an advantage against this Villanova team. Uh, And like the only, Villanova is still going to be like a four guard team and the only guy that's got real size for them is, is Trey Patterson although it looks like he's expected to be better this year um I, I don't but this is nothing new for Villanova to play small this is that's just what they do and Jermaine Samuels expected to take a pretty big step forward as well uh he's preseason all big east second team I think that I think that there may be some ways for Nova to actually have some success down low now and not just have to jump shoot against this team. Um, I, I and what I, I saw at a Justin Moore, albeit against Mount St. Mary's, but if he's going to get to the rim and get shots on his own, it's going to allow Colin Gillespie to, to play off the ball more, which is going to be huge for Villanova because if Gillespie doesn't have to have the ball in his hand. I think they're even a better team. And like I said, I, I didn't buy UCLA as the tournament went on. They kept proving me wrong. I get it. But the two teams that are, they're both returning so much. I still, I, I didn't feel like this. I, I wouldn't have taken UCLA to beat Nova last year. I'm not taking them this year. I'm definitely not giving points with UCLA. I, I'd probably lean Nova all the way down to like a three point spread. So I, I think there's value in the underdog here. Agreed. All right, let's move on to, I think, one of the more interesting games, San Diego State at BYU. We'll project this one at about three and a half. I've got a feeling we're going to feel differently on this one based on one of these teams being on your the, the futures odds checks you asked of me. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I'll start. I mean, so I, I asked you what San Diego State looked like um, just because I feel like they're in a, a conference where they can make a run and, and build up a, a huge – uh, win-loss record that will be really tough to put as a lower seed. Uh, with all that said, I, I have been critical of Ryan Dutcher in the past, and I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, they've been dominant for a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I guess, to, to fully uh, step all the way in and believe into what they are. Um, but I think alongside of, of what you're saying, that you're kind of intimating that you might be on the BYU side of things. And I got to say, going to the Marriott Center is a scary, scary thing. Um, not sure that I would want to do that or take any sort of spread at three and a half. And, and a, a small one like that, I think, is something that would actually have me more interested in BYU, uh, probably a shocker to you and, and, and the audience. Um, but ultimately, I think 
from from what I'm looking at this in, in terms of this matchup, and I, I'd I'd love to hear your X and O take, and then try to kind of come back at you at it. Um, but from where I'm seeing it, is this is one of those platform games where whoever wins this game, especially if it's San Diego State, I think it's going to make a huge case for them in tournament time and seeding and kind of where the season goes. Because if you start off with a big win at BYU, that's a really big deal for San Diego State moving forward. And conversely, if BYU wins this game, yes, it's at home, but it's, you're still beating a great team like San Diego State who might have some trouble in, in conference with Colorado State this season, but ultimately I feel like that's a, a limited challenge. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to, to, to me to see kind of where this game kind of catapults the winner. Yeah, I think that this this team is San Diego State. They're legit. They, they brought back basically everything they had last year. They added Matt Bradley, Matt Bradley from Cal, who was like an eighteen and five there. So what they really needed was a guy who can who can score. And I, I think that they've got they've added that dimension now, which which makes them pretty scary because they're so great defensively. They're going to need defense against BYU. This BYU team is something, and they kind of I think they kind of get overlooked because they play in a conference where. It, like being second place in that conference means you're like you're you're still nowhere near the best team in the conference because uh, Gonzaga has just been so dominant. But I think Alex Barcelo is like probably one of the 20 best players in the country. Uh, they they bring in Tejon Lucas, who former Illinois, former Milwaukee point guard, and I think he's going to share some backcourt minutes. I think you're going to give kind of like a, a dual look point guard guys who can both run with the ball and without the ball. And I think the best thing to happen to BYU is Matt Harms being gone after playing like 43 years of college basketball. He's, he's <laughs> finally moved on. Uh, and I, I think that they're going to be able to play with more tempo. Caleb Lohner's probably going to get the the five minutes and it gives them an inside out threat that they didn't have. I, I think both these teams are going to be very good again, but I think the depth and the outside shooting is going to give BYU an edge in this matchup. So I, this is one of my likes. I actually like BYU minus three and a half if that's the number we get. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't blame you. I think anyone going in there backing SD, uh, San Diego State at that type of number is believing that they're going to go into Marriott and win, and that's really hard for me to see. Um, I think that ultimately I actually lean with you. I think Mark Pope is one of the best. I don't know if I'd call him young and up and coming because BYU is a pretty big job, but I feel like his name isn't really – on the, the map of best coaches in the country. And so I, I think that this is a game that that home court advantage actually does matter. I feel like a lot of my betting strategy in this sport is really to say that it doesn't. Uh, but the Marriott Center is one of those places that I definitely am afraid of. And for years when BYU were really good, Jim or Fredette times, but we're still a little bit under the radar, they were one of the best bets in college basketball as a home slight favorite. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some of that this season. I just I don't know that they're going to have that many opportunities because I think people are going to or odds makers are going to wise up really quick to how good this team is and how strong their coach is. All right, let's look at Texas Gonzaga. So listen, this one was kind of tough for me because I don't Ken Palm says this is going to be a 10-point spread. Yeah. I can almost guarantee that this is not going to be double digits. I'm not like I don't want to make a a real guarantee, but it would blow my mind if somehow a, a book opened this as a double digit spread and I would have a lot of money on Texas if they did. I'm going to uh, let's play seven and a half. Seems like a decent number. Maybe you get maybe you get a little bit worse number if you want Gonzaga, but I I, f- I feel like that's about right to me. So what what do you think about the number first of all, and before you get into the handicap? Sure, uh, seven and a half. I mean, it seemed I, I saw the ten at Ken Palm as well, uh, and, and that was surprising to me. I, I don't think it gets there, uh, opens there. I mean. It's hard to say, I guess, because bet online is is kind of the the lower uh, limits type of opener. Uh, they might come out at ten because they seem to just mirror Ken Palm. At least that's what I've seen over the last few years. Uh, but that would be a big number, and I imagine a lot of people are taking that because ultimately, when you're taking a ten point spread, um, that pretty much covers fouling until the end. I mean, barring. Uh, late in the game, a, a foul when you're down nine, because I feel like most coaches are, are set, calling off the dogs at that point. Uh, that's too big of a number, I think, to give a top five team uh, that a lot of people have in Texas and, and currently your your uh, first listed uh, future bet choice. So uh, 
probably seven and a half. I, I mean, it might even come a little bit lower based on the Chris Beard effect. Cause I feel like I, I, it's hard for me to kind of gauge the marketplace, but it seems to me that everyone loves to back Chris Beard uh, and, and offering him more points than, than the market expects is, is probably not the, the best recipe for any sports book. Yeah. I, I think this Gonzaga team is going to be very good again. Don't get me wrong. I, I think they are rightfully looked at as the best team, but they're, I just don't think they're going to be what they were last year where we were talking about them maybe being one of the greatest teams ever. And like Suggs and Kispert, those are not replaceable parts. And I, I think Holmgren and, and watching him was, don't get me wrong, very impressive. He he adds a totally new dimension. He is elite defensively. He is a shot eraser. And they are he, – he's inside out. Um, he is – uh, he, like he can, he can shoot. He can, he can do all the he can do all the things big men are supposed to do, and all the things big men aren't supposed to do. He's a a very very good player, but the offense is not going to be as smooth without Suggs running it. The offense is not going to be as smooth without Kispert standing out there by himself waiting to hit a shot. I think Julian Strother is going to slide right into that role, and and he's got promise. But I just think Beard dominated the transfer portal in a way that that puts their talent maybe not right there with them but certainly not multiple possessions worse than what Gonzaga's got. Like Tim Allen, Timmy Allen was like first team all pack 12 last year. You know, Marcus Carr is basically an instant 30 points uh, in the big 10. Devin Askew started 20 games for Kentucky. Like, Christian Bishop has been like one of the, the leaders at Creighton for years. Like they, they just, they found uh, Trey Mitchell was like a 20 point per game guy at UMass. They, they, and they kept all, they kept, Jones, they kept Ramey, they kept Febris, they kept everybody except their bigs. And I just think that their talent is better than it was a year ago. I think Gonzaga's is less. So I think if you get more than two possessions, I think there's value on the horns there. Yeah, I can't disagree. I think I'm actually most excited for Trey Mitchell. Um, maybe it's because I follow too many UMass uh, people on Twitter, but um, he he was, has always been really impressive to me and seemed like a guy that I didn't expect to kind of fall to a, a UMass type of program, which I guess states where they are in the grand scheme of things at this point. Um, I think this is going to be a big test, though, for the Horns. Uh, because it, it's not like they're the babies because they're not freshmen by any stretch, but they're uh, veteran players that just haven't really spent a lot of time together. Um, maybe the offseason has done enough to kind of get them together all in the same spot, and Chris Beard certainly is going to do a lot better of the cohesion or the gel than Shaka ever could. Um, I, I'm most worried about what the the Texas offense looks like on the road in a very hostile environment that I'm sure it will be and um, trying to figure out kind of who everyone is going to be. And, and, and we, as we saw last year with, with Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey going after each other mid game, um, I, I think that they're closer than, than that interaction would have, would have seemed, but uh, just from kind of my outside, but sort of inside Texas as a, as an alum and, and certainly a fan perspective, I'm, I'm curious what they're going to be able to offer offensively. Cause even though Gonzaga lost so much uh, and, and as you said, like the Kispert literally raining threes. It seemed like every game I watched and that I can't tell you how many times I, I turned games off in the first half that I bet against Gonzaga. Cause it was like, what was the point? Um, but I, I do, I I'm, I'm wondering if Texas can match a probably limited Gonzaga offense uh, based on personnel, but in, in a great environment for them to score a lot of points. That That's what I'm most worried about. Maybe Beard's defense is good enough to hold that, uh, that number. And I certainly can't argue with wanting to take more than two possessions. If that's what's offered to us, I just, I'm feeling like it, that, that the market will, will knock that one down from there. What are your feelings about like Gonzaga being a team? Like their two best players look like they're going to be front court guys. Is that a way to win in March? Uh, I mean, they say that guards win, win tournament games and I have no basis or reason to disagree with that. Um, to me, it, I remember even a few years ago watching North Carolina uh, forever under Roy Williams starting the two big guys posts at like power forward and center. And the fear was always that they just play volleyball on the backboard or on the rim. And literally you'd, you'd lose by death by a million offensive rebounds. But um, I feel like that's not the game anymore. Uh, and specifically in March, I think it's it's a problem because you really can only have one big guy on the floor at a time. Uh, you can have one that kind of masquerades as a big guy who plays the floor position that can make perimeter jump shots. 
that's to me what the most like what changed the game more than everything made Buzz Williams the head coach of Texas A&M making the money he is because I feel like he was one of the first guys that really had that every single year at Marquette. Um, I think maybe now at this point in the season, it might be okay. And, and you can kind of slide through with, I mean, Drew Timmy just seems to score every time he touches the ball and that's going to be a big test for, for Texas inside. But uh, I think long-term you need to have guard play and two bigs is really, it, it honestly puts you, it, it makes you an endangered species in my opinion in March. All right, let's get to the last of our, our big games. Florida State at Florida. We'll go ahead and project Florida minus two. So watch this game live last year, actually. Um, and it was, I mean, Florida was getting a lot of respect. Uh, thought about playing Florida State. I want to say Florida State was a two and a half point favorite. Um, and Florida looked really good. And then Keontae Johnson collapsed on the court. And they basically made an extended long timeout, media timeout and then went right back on the court after like some of the guys probably thought their teammate just passed away in front of them. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I'd read too much in that from last year, but I think it really took Florida uh, losing their best player, but really I think it did a lot more to the team. They kind of like turned off the season for a little bit and then came back on. And I think that was really tough. And I think Mike White as a head coach has kind of shown that he needs things to be going well for him to do well. Uh, Florida state on the other hand with Leonard Hamilton, who, who has somehow bought in. I know Shaka Smart because I actually I talked to Josh Langford, the former Michigan State recruit's father on a flight because he's from the Nashville area, uh, or at least dad was going through there. And, and one of the big things that Shaka struggled with recruiting uh, some of the better athletes or, or better players was that they didn't want to press. Uh, Leonard Hamilton doesn't have that problem. He goes 10, 11 deep on seemingly every year, maybe even 12. And this is the same sort of thing for him this year with a really deep roster that can play really tough defense. And they always have fresh leg to make shots. And that's a pretty big deal. Uh, watched, caught a little of their game last night against Penn, or maybe two nights ago. And I mean, I, I feel like their depth is a really big deal. Caleb Mills, the Houston transfer, uh, looked really good to me defensively. And, and I think that's not going to be a problem from him uh, transporting over from, from Houston. There was some sort of stuff around the program that seemed to be weird. I don't really know too much about with that one. But ultimately, I mean, great team with a ton of depth and a ton of three-point shooters. Uh, but it's a big rivalry in Florida, and I'm sure it's going to be a big deal. The problem is that the Florida offense, and seemingly to me last year, wanted to go through Colin Castleton inside all year long. And he's a big body Michigan transfer, but ultimately his 6'11 against uh, a pretty deep roster of big guys. And, and it seems like there's always a huge, huge giant sitting on the bench of Florida State or even playing big minutes with another one behind him. Uh, that's, that's a big concern for me to see how Florida is going to score their points. Though I have to say, with a pretty small spread at home in a good home environment, the O'Connell Center, O'Connell Center, where where it's rare to see the Gators lose, um, I think I'd lean Florida and, and want to be talked out of it. Do you know what the you called it a rivalry game? Do you know how this rivalry's gone in recent years? You know the last time Florida got a win in this rivalry? I'm gonna guess it's been a while. How about 2014, which is two years before Mike White was the coach at Florida? Billy Donovan, that the year they won, they lost like three games. Um, that's the last time you. That's how far back you have to go. And in the Mike the Mike White era, it hasn't even been close. So yeah. it, since Mike White got there in 2016, Florida State's won every game by an average margin of 11 points plus per game. Uh, like they they've dominated this series and it's they just cannot handle the physicality of Florida State and they they lost a lot they lost multiple guys to to the pros but Matt Cleveland is this is your typical like if you drew a picture of a Florida State recruit under Hamilton this is what you get like an elite finisher that is just going to be a nightmare in transition. And, and that's what he is. And Jalen Warley, is a, he's a, a point guard. He's huge for the position, just like everybody's huge uh, on Florida State. They, they got two freshman seven-footers, which is the least shocking thing ever. And, and Florida last year, after, you know, after, after that incident happened, which was, I mean, it's a bummer. And Florida did look like they had some promise. They were never the same after that. And, and they ended up being good, just not great last year. And, and that's really kind of what, under Mike White, that's what Florida is. They're, uh, they're going to make the tournament. They're probably going to be seated somewhere between 6 and 10. 
and they're going to lose really early in the tournament, probably day one. <laughs> like that's that's just their recipe. It's what they do. And they they lose Trey Mann, they lose Scotty Lewis, uh, and they lost they lost Noah Locke to Louisville, and they're going to have a way different look. And you know they bring in uh, uh, Jones from from Penn State, who is he's a solid contributor at Penn State. CJ Felder was a nice piece for BC. But they, besides that, it was just a bunch of mid-major guys, and not like great mid-major guys, but like Brandon McKissick, Philandris Fleming from Kansas City and Charleston Southern, like kind of low-major guys that are just way unproven at this level. So it's easier for me to picture that Florida State's replaced what they lost in the offseason versus Florida, who had way more holes to fill to begin with the filling filling enough to catch up to this Florida State team. I just don't see it. I, I think even if they even if they both replace to even, this Florida State team has just been so much better the last several years. So I, I would go with Florida State here, especially if they're catching points. Sounds like you're uh, about to play that one if it, if it was out there right now. You seem to sound pretty convinced. More than likely. All right. All right, let's get to best bets. I'll go ahead and drop mine first. I'm going to go with Wofford plus eight and a half at Clemson. There's no Amir Sims here who really gave Clemson kind of a physical edge that was just irreplaceable. Uh, Trap's gone. Barry's gone. Three starters, all who were really key guys for Clemson on one or both ends of the floor. They're going to be less athletic than they have been, which means I think they're going to slow things down even more than last season where they were already 337 in adjusted tempo. They don't want to move fast. They're less talented. And in particular, I think they're going to have a harder time scoring, which is bad news for a team that wasn't particularly great on that end of the floor last year. Wofford lost some guys, too. They, they come into the season without Storm Murphy, who transferred to Virginia Tech, and, and Trey Hollowell is at Moorhead State. The good news is everybody at Wofford can shoot. Everybody. It's a factory. And they just have guys who step up and fill these roles. And granted, it was a D2 opponent, but watch them on Tuesday night. They shoot 16 to 25 from three. It, they got at least one three from all eight of their top minutes guys in the game. And Ryan Larson looks like he's going to step right into that Storm Murphy role. If he limits turnovers, is going to be a well-oiled machine on offense. I think they're a live dog in this game. So I, I'll, I'll go Wofford catching eight and a half points. Uh, my buy price will be down to seven and a half, seven. Uh, so if you still like if, – if the number has moved by the time this podcast comes out, the, the line right now is eight and a half, though. So I'll like it down to seven. Wofford for my best bet on the first pod. And if, if we're doing comments on that, I mean, I'm interested in Wofford as well. I think uh, Clemson have shown as, as a big favorite that they've really struggled uh, over the past few years under Brownell. And, and I think looking at at their uh, their style of play and how they want to play, I think they're going to give up and kind of let – I'm not sure that they're going to dare Wofford to take threes because that's what they're known for. Um, but that's certainly a number you can slide into or, or get inside late. And you might even get this line climbing up that really, really key plus nine number to me where teams stop fouling. So you might escape with a push if, if that line moves in that direction. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that, that makes sense. That's what we saw. And actually I, that, that number is kind of moving more to seven than it is to nine though. We've kind of, especially early in the season, like it, obviously it's as the, the more important the games get later in the season, the more likely you are to keep fouling, but I, I don't worry about. I I I don't feel like Clemson is going to make all their free throws anyway. I feel I keep fouling them. Let them let them keep shooting. <laughs> all right, wh- where are you going for your play? All right, so I'm going down to the uh, the Harrah's Cherokee Center in Asheville, North Carolina, for the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Uh, they're playing a neutral court game against Minnesota in a total rebuild. Uh, I think. Uh, Richard Patino tried his best, had some tough injury luck, had some okay teams at Minnesota and ultimately got swallowed up in the Big Ten. Uh, they've lost a lot of talent. I think uh, looking at what they bring back and, and seeing what they, they were able to play in the opener, I, I just don't see where they're going to score the basketball. Uh, Western Kentucky certainly have to deal with uh, losing one of their best players of all time uh, in graduate or in losing Charles Bassey. And, and that's a big deal uh, and someone that's going to be hard to replace. But I really like what they've done. Uh, I, I'm a big, big fan of Rick Stansberry, but also I think they still have a ton of talent on that team. Josh Anderson's one of the best athletes, I think, that not a lot of people know about um, out, because he plays in a, a smaller conference. But bringing in one of the Hamilton brothers out of Trent, 
out of a transfer is really important. Uh, Luke Frampton has always been a huge three-point threat previously at Davidson. And I think it's going to one one year in the program last season, I think, will get him closer. And, and this is a Western Kentucky team that were very close to qualifying for the NCAA tournament last year, if not for blowing a game in, in the conference tournament that really kept them out. Current, current numbers, two and a half. Um, like I said earlier, I'm pretty strict on trying to bet teams uh, laying maximum of one possession. So uh, ultimately, minus three is, is my lock it in point because I don't want to see it hit three and a half. Uh, probably won't matter, but that that's just... Generally, my discipline is trying to bet minus three or below on favorites that I'm playing. I like this too. Western Kentucky, I think, despite losing what they lost, I mean, you're not going to replace Abassi, but I think Keith Williams is still a very good guy. If that's going to be your your kind of go to guy, I I feel good about that. Um, I I think that they've got what's considered at least, you know, again, I'm not a, a recruiting expert, but Zion Harmon is is expected to be the best freshman, you know, in the conference. In fact, they have, uh, and most of them are transfers. The other, the, the other two are transfers, but they've got three of the top five uh, on most, uh, you know, newcomers watch lists for conference USA. So, uh, it looks like Western Kentucky is going to be back in the mix. And as far as, as far as Minnesota goes, you know, we talked about where teams rank in the big 10, and I think there's a lot of, well, I don't know where this team goes over this team. Like the one thing I do know is Minnesota is the worst team in the Big Ten. <laughs> and there's there's not like, I, I don't care what team name you say, there's not a team that is going to be worse than than Minnesota. They are, they are, at least on paper, like Northwestern is better than Minnesota on paper. And that's, that's pretty sad. Uh, but they are, they're just a mess right now. They lost everything. Nobody wanted to stick around. Uh, and... You know, this was a team that it, it, I, I, I don't even think you can really look at last year's stats and say they did this or they did this because it, it's just not the same team. So basically, they've got a a low major team. Now, let's not say a mid major because they brought in guys from D two. They brought in guys from uh, like the, from New Hampshire that that opted out last year. Uh, they brought brought in guys from William and Mary and Charleston. Like they they brought in some real kind of bottom of college basketball's barrel, and I, I think that not only will they be the worst team in the Big Ten, I, I think that they are going to be maybe one of the worst Power Six teams in the country. Like they're they're going to be just that kind of miserable. So I think finding that. While while there's still some some schmoes out there who don't realize that, that you know Patino's not coaching this team. Oh, Marcus Carr's not there. Uh, the smart people know that. I, I mean, I would say probably eighty percent of people who are betting on college basketball games know that. But then there's going to be that. There's going to be the handful of people who are like, "Oh, Minnesota against a Conference USA team. Uh, let's put this in my money line parlay." And it's just, I, I think they're making a big mistake. So I, I like your pick there quite a bit, actually. Thank you. I, I, I do think that there's some value in going against big names early in the season before it's figured out that Minnesota is one of the worst power six in college basketball. We'll see if that turns out into that type of level, but we'll... we'll... You're, I, let me tell you this. You're not going to get Western Kentucky minus three if this game was played a month from now. Agreed. There's no chance. Like it, it'd be, it, It'll be seven or eight. So I, I, I like that you're getting in on this early. All right, that's going to do it for our first episode. Griffin, appreciate you, man. Great job. And uh, looking forward to the season with you. Like I said, we'll have a, a Friday release and a Monday release every week through college basketball season. And uh, looking forward to what we can put together this weekend. Good luck, my man. And I will talk to you next week. Same to you. Same to you.